0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Hi, my name is Jasmine and I will be bringing you today's Bible reading. Today's Bible reading is from Acts Chapter 2. Verses forty two forty seven. The believers studied what the apostles taught. They shared their lives together. They ate and prayed together. Everyone was amazed at what God was doing. They were amazed when the apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together. They shared everything they had. They sold property and other things they owned. They gave to anyone who needed something. Every day they met together in the temple courtyard. They ate meals together in their homes. Their hearts were glad and sincere. They praised God and they were were respected by all the people. Every day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bye.
0: What does it mean to be the church? In the last few years, our experience of being the church has changed and been challenged. For two years, we weren't easily able to gather in person. And so churches had to reinvent themselves and find new ways to be the church. Moving services online, caring for each other over the phone, struggling to do community outreach when we weren't allowed out in the community. So the impact on churches has been challenging and difficult. I was at a clergy conference last week and I had repeated conversations with discouraged ministers. Even now that we're able to be back in person, numbers haven't bounced back for a variety of reasons. And so as ministers look out on a Sunday, there's just not the number of people there who used to be there, so they're discouraged. Now, there's a range of reasons for why the numbers haven't bounced back. Um, People are sick, you know, it's the middle of winter, it's cold, and there's lots of sickness around. Uh, People are catching up on travel that they missed out on and weren't able to do for a number of years. Uh, Vulnerable people still are avoiding large gatherings for safety and health reasons. Some people have lost the habit of meeting as church, and it's it's just easier to stay at home on a Sunday morning. Some people feel disconnected, and there's this hurdle that needs to be got over in order to come back and meet with God's people. Now, this is not unique to the church. Uh, At schools, about a quarter to a half of the class is away every single day, and footy crowds haven't bounced back to anywhere near the numbers that we were seeing pre-COVID. Even in the church, we can have a bit of a misperception about what is happening. Uh, We reckon here at St John's that each week there are more people engaged with church now at our church than there were pre-COVID. But it doesn't necessarily feel like that if you turn up to an in-person service because there's people like you watching the digital service each week and we're engaged with church, but you can't necessarily get a perception of who is engaged along with you and so it's been a challenging time and our perceptions of church have been challenged and the reality is that churches are in this phase of rebuilding in this period of what they're calling COVID normal so it's good for us today to pause and to think about what it means to be the church what does the bible teach us about being the church we're continuing this journey through Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've talked about the, the day of Pentecost, when God poured out his Spirit on his church. We've looked at Peter getting up and, and speaking about Jesus and the need to respond to Jesus. And now in today's passage, we look at what it meant to be a Spirit-filled church. What did the church look like as the Spirit filled the followers of Jesus? How did they act? What did they do? And It's a powerful passage for shaping our own thinking about church in 2022, Diamond Creek, COVID normal life. And there's five characteristics, I think, in this passage, which show us what the spirit-filled church looks like. So in Acts 2.42, we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, if you're devoted to something, then you're going to put time and energy and focus into it. It's something that you're committed to doing. So, what is it that they were devoted to? What were they committed to? Well, the first thing we're told is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the 12 closest followers of Jesus. They'd heard Jesus teach, they'd seen the things that he had done and they had a particular authority from Jesus to be sent out and to share his message with other people. Uh, Significantly, they'd also been witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They'd seen Jesus alive and they'd even been taught by Jesus post-resurrection about what his resurrection means and the way that it was a fulfilment of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so the early church were taught and instructed by the apostles who had this particular authority from Jesus. They could pass on the true teaching about Jesus. In verse 43, we read that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. One of the ways that Jesus confirmed the authority that he had given to the apostles is that they were able to do signs and wonders. Now, it's interesting that in this verse, it doesn't say that everyone was doing these signs and wonders, but it was particularly the apostles who were doing this. Now, later on in Acts, we see that there are other people who do signs and wonders. It wasn't just limited to the apostles, but it was important that people knew that these people had the authority of Jesus, and so could pass on the truth of his message passing on Jesus' teaching so that the church could grow and know how to be shaped as followers of Jesus. Now, what does it mean for us as a church in 2022 to be devoted to the apostles' teaching in the same sort of way? Obviously, we can't get Peter or Matthew to pop up and preach a sermon for us on a Sunday. Uh, We can't do that. But the apostles passed on their teaching, it was written down by them or spoken to others to write it down in the Bible. So we have the teaching of the apostles recorded for us in the Bible. So for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching actually means to be a biblical church that we are learning and growing as a church as we engage with the Scriptures. So let me ask us, are we a church which is devoted to learning from the Bible? Uh, As we gather for the digital service or for an in-person service, do we come ready to hear from God's word and to listen to what God has to say? If you're part of a life group, do you wrestle together with the meaning of the Bible and how that applies in your life, in your work, in your relationships? Do you feed on God's word yourself, taking time to read it by yourself or with the people that you live with? Are you regularly changing things in your life in accordance with God's word? Are you being encouraged, challenged, uh, rebuked and spurred on as you hear from God's word? If, If that's the case, then that is the Spirit's work in you helping you to be shaped by God as you listen to his word. So the spirit-filled church is a learning church. The second thing that we read is that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, fellowship's a bit of a churchy word, I reckon, these days. There's not many contexts that we use it outside of the church. Although the first part of uh, the Lord of the Rings is called the fellowship of the ring. And that's actually not a bad way for us to think about what fellowship actually is. Uh, in that book and, and, and movies, you had uh, a group of people who wouldn't normally be together, elves, hobbits, uh, dwarfs, and humans, on a mission together, working for a, a single purpose to take the ring to Mordor, and in the process being bonded together as a, as a tight and unified group. Uh, That's an image for the spirit-filled church. The word used here for fellowship is the word koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, which just means gathering, right? So the the church is a gathering of disparate people from different backgrounds, but on mission together as a unified community. Uh, But as a gathered community, We need to take opportunities to get together, to gather together. In verse 46 of this passage, we read that that's exactly what the early church did. We read, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So, They took every opportunity, they were even meeting daily, they did it in public out in the temple courts, and they did it in private, gathering in their own homes. The mention here, a couple of times in this passage, it mentions breaking bread, and that could just be a reference to eating a meal together, but it could be a more specific reference to sharing communion together, uh, breaking bread and remembering what Jesus had done through his life and death and resurrection. It's probably a reference to both. They probably had their meals together, and as a normal part of the meal, they would break bread and remember what Jesus had done, sharing communion in their homes when they gathered. So this wasn't just a social gathering. It was a gathering of believers in Jesus, remembering together everything that Jesus had done and committing themselves to feed on him. So they wove their faith, their worship, their prayer and their praise into their meeting together, both publicly and also privately in their homes. The Spirit-filled church is a gathered church. Now, again, as I was saying earlier, the last two years have been a challenge for the church to be a gathered community. For large chunks of 2020 and 2021, it was illegal to gather We weren't able to do it. So we had to get creative. We had to start a digital service like you're watching now. We had to meet together on Zoom and through other platforms. Uh, And these are great things. They're things that we're not going to stop doing. We want to keep using the resources that we have at our disposal to find ways to engage with God and with each other together. Uh, for a number of people and maybe you're one of them uh, you're housebound or sickness means that it's not easy for you to gather or your health is very vulnerable and so meeting with other people is a great risk and so we're very committed to this digital service as a way of people engaging together but if you're physically able to meet and it's not a health risk for you to do so it's actually better for you to come in person and to be with other people. Um, Every week we have this experience at our in-person services where people are back for the very first time. And they often say to me, it was actually really hard to come back. It was an emotional barrier to get over. I've been away for a long time. I thought people might um, look at me and think, where have you been? And so it was a hurdle. It was a hard thing for actually get back, to get back in person. But I'm so glad that I did it because it's wonderful to to see people, to be encouraged, to hear voices as we sing together and to have those side conversations that you can have as a way of encouraging each other in faith that is not so easy to do online. And so here's my challenge, depending on your circumstances, are you able to gather in person with other people to be the gathered church and to encourage each other. There's great benefit in it. There's great benefit to us as a community because there is that sense of being the gathered church. There's a great benefit to you personally because it's an opportunity for you to serve others, to use your gifts and for others to serve and encourage you in person in informal ways when you gather together. Now, that might not be your circumstance. Again, you might be housebound, you might be sick. Uh, We definitely want people to stay away from church if they're sick so that they don't pass it on to others. But there's a great benefit in gathering together. And so the challenge is, can we re-establish patterns of gathering together? Can we be committed to physically being with each other so that there's those opportunities to be the church gathered together and encourage each other in the faith of Jesus. The spirit-filled church is a gathering church. Thirdly, the spirit-filled church is a praying church. verse 42 says they devoted themselves to prayer. In verse 47, we see that as they gathered in their homes, they spent time praising God together. So we see that prayer was a vital part of the life of the spirit-filled church. As God's spirit filled them, they were drawn to pray, to express their deep dependence on God by coming to him in prayer. Now, I reckon a key health indicator for the church is how much the church is praying. Without prayer, we're tempted to try and do things in our own strength. We can become either proud because we think we're doing pretty well, Or we can become despondent because things are a struggle. As a church here at St John's, how much are we praying? I've been thinking about this. It's kind of hard to quantify the amount of prayer that happens each week. How do you add up the prayer that happens? Because prayer happens in our Sunday gatherings. Prayer happens as people gather together in their life groups to share with each other and to pray for each other. It happens... Uh, as people gather for life group, but also as people pray for each other in the sharing of prayer points through the week. Um, There's dedicated prayer meetings uh, for praying for things like Alpha, um, praying for our vision. Uh, We have a group who meet here at church each Thursday morning to pray for the church. Uh, Whenever our leadership groups gather together, whether that's staff, wardens, parish council, missions committee, whatever it might be, there's always prayer as part of those leadership group meetings as well. And of course, people are praying individually and praying for the church as well as for their own lives and family. So there's a lot of prayer that happens in a variety of different ways and it's hard to add up how much we're praying. In what I've named there, I've probably missed a bunch of things that actually happen in the life of our church. And it's certain that there's more ways that we could be praying and more opportunities to pray that we're not currently taking advantage of. What are the ways that you're currently involved in praying and praying for the church and for the mission of the church? What are the ways that we as a church can grow in prayer? If prayer is about expressing our dependence on God, if we expect that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers, and if we want to be a church that is devoted to prayer, devoted to prayer like the early church, What are the opportunities that we're not taking that we could be taking? Or where are the avenues that we could be praying together? Because the spirit-filled church is a praying church. Fourthly, the spirit-filled church is a generous church. Here's what we read in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So here's what we see about this fellowship, this gathering and what it looks like in practice. They're so committed to each other, so committed to their church community, their church mission and the needs of those around them that they share openly. It's a type of communal living. Now we read this and uh, we often get scared by this. Um, Isn't this communism? You know, everyone compulsorily, pooling their stuff together and sharing it with others? Or is this like a cult where people are coerced to pool in together and put everything so that it's being shared? But in the context of Acts, it's neither compulsory or coerced. It appears to be completely voluntary and open that people choose to do this. So in Acts chapter 4, we read about a guy called Barnabas who sells some land that he's got, and he brings it and he gives it to share with the church. But then in the next chapter, Acts 5, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell their land and they don't bring all of it, they bring some of it to share with the church. Now the trouble with Ananias and Sapphira is they lie about this. They say, this is the total amount, when in fact it's not, they've kept some for themselves. They're criticized for their actions, but they're criticized because they've lied about it when actually they were free to keep whatever they want. It was their money. They didn't have to give it. So the critique is not the lack of sharing. The critique is that they lied that they'd given the full amount. Paul puts it pretty well in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves A cheerful giver. As God's Spirit fills us, as God's Spirit shapes our hearts and desires, he helps us to be generous in giving what we have, giving to support the work of the church and its mission in the world, and to give to those who are in need. I've often said that St John's is a generous church, Uh, members of our church give sacrificially and generously to the work of the church. Uh, We do it so that Jesus can be proclaimed in our local area so that we can partner with other people who are doing the work of Jesus all over the world in different ways. We do it so that we can build each other up in faith and be committed to following Jesus in every area of our life. We do it so that children and youth can hear about Jesus and they can grow in faith and be the new generation of the church doing that work together. We also see members of this church giving generously and sacrificially to help those in need. I've seen people just give money to those who don't have enough food, can't pay their rent or have a period of unemployment and just can't pay the bills at that time. As I'm describing these things, I hope one of two things is happening for you. Either you're going, yes, we are a generous church and I love being part of it. I love being generous too so that I can give and do the sorts of things that you're describing. I love it. Or maybe you're going, wow, that sounds great. I'm pleased to hear that we're a generous church. I'm not sure that I'm actually pitching in and I'm part of that but I'd like to be. Uh, You can be. Uh, Each week we try and encourage people to be part of that generosity. Uh, You can jump on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au forward slash giving so that you can play your part and be part of that generous church as well. It's a team sport. It's a communal activity. The Spirit-filled church is a generous church. And fifthly in our passage, The Spirit-filled church is a missional church. This is how our passage ends in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that just doesn't happen by accident that people join in. We know that the early church was speaking the message of Jesus Uh, Just earlier, just before this passage, Peter gets up in front of the crowd and he tells people about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and he calls people to turn to Jesus, to put their trust in him, to repent, to turn away from their old way of life, and to be baptised, to unite themselves with Jesus by faith. We also know that the church is living out the message of Jesus. All of these things that I've just been describing, learning, gathering, praying, being generous, is attractive. And people saw that and wanted to be part of it. At the end of verse 46, we read these words, that uh, they enjoyed the favour of all the people. The early church was clearly popular. People respected them as they saw the integrity of the way that they lived. Now, as we read on in the book of Acts, this favour isn't, uh, isn't long lasting. Uh, there's persecution that comes to the church as people react against this message of Jesus and reject him and reject the church. So there's a bit of a tension here, and I think there's always this tension in terms of the mission of the church. We have to be bold in proclaiming Jesus, telling people that Jesus is the way to enjoy a relationship with with God. And Jesus is the only way that we can have that living relationship with God. We must proclaim Jesus. At the same time, we must live in such a way that we have such integrity and live good lives of kindness and love and care that Even if people reject that unique message about Jesus, they don't fault us for the way that we live. We must do both of those things together and hold those two things in tension. Uh, Even if people reject the message of Christianity, but they look at you and think, and yet I know that they are a Christian and their life is appealing. I don't like Christianity, but I like this one Christian that I know who seems to live differently than the people around them. That's a compelling way, I think, for us to be on mission for Jesus. We must live with that tension to proclaim Jesus and live in a way which commends Jesus by what we do. The Spirit-filled church doesn't live for its own comfort or its own internal uh, cohesion and community life. The Spirit-filled church is an outward-looking church, right? We exist because of Jesus and we exist for Jesus, sharing Jesus with other people so that they too can be welcomed as followers of this Jesus and as part of the community that he gathers around himself. As we read about the early church, the Spirit-filled church here in Acts, it's an exciting vision. It's the sort of thing that you think, wow, I would love to be part of a church like that. But we can be. God's Spirit fills His church today. Uh, God is present and shaping us as a community that we might live in this way, which is radical and appealing. Let's pray And let's work together to be the sort of church that Jesus calls us to be. A spirit-filled church, which is learning, which is gathering, which is praying, which is generous, and which is on mission, sharing Jesus with all of those around us.